0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
1: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg
0: Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Geopolitics, certainly moving markets today and, and pretty much every day this week as well. But let's step back take a look at some of these fundamentals because we do have inflation we do have rising interest rates we do have a slowing economy how are risk assets to perform in that environment let's check in with mark yusko ceo cio and founder of morgan creep capital management located in some third rate hamlet called chapel hill north carolina (laughs) i mean i guess he couldn't find any office
1: space in Mark Paul's a Duke guy
0: uh, in Durham, North Carolina, but we'll, we'll we'll check in with Mark anyway. Mark, how, what are you telling your clients here as they kind of raise all some of these, you know, these bricks in this wall of worry here?
2: No, it's a great, great point, and uh, you know, congrats to the uh, boys at University of New Jersey at Durham down the road. So <laughs> Very good, good year. Um, but look, we we are cautious. In the current environment, you know, we, we're living in a world of financial repression. That, to me, is the biggest problem. Savers are just being punished uh, with these low interest rates. And although the Fed's making noises about raising, I actually don't think they can. So that'll cause – that'll take one of the stressors away when they finally do what I call the Powell pivot, and he finally admits that he really can't raise rates. You, you mentioned it. Economic growth is slowing very dramatically Uh, We're going to see negative growth in Europe uh, in the first quarter, could possibly see as as little as zero growth in the U.S. And then corporate profits are rolling over. Uh, Earnings estimates are being slashed. So we feel you should be hedged with a capital D. uh, And hedge funds are are likely to have a a much better year this year than they did last year. Uh, We still do like one area, uh, which is oil. Uh, We think uh, energy is an interesting place to be, things like MLPs. Uh, good place to hide. They're just very, very cheap mm. because uh, even if everybody wants an EV, it'll take us 30 years to everyone to have an EV. Uh, so it's going to take a while before oil is uh, not necessary. Not
1: everybody wants one. And then,
2: yeah, well, true, that was true. That's that's the other thing. That, you know, some of us have range anxiety, right? We like to travel long distances. Um, but but then I think the last thing we're telling people is uh, don't really stress too much about the the noise of geopolitics. Really focus on the signal, and um, you know we think there's lower risk of, of some big event than I think uh, many in the uh, D.C. area would have us believe. But um, you know we're, we're we're cautious, but but not completely out of markets. So why do you think uh, we've seen point- such
1: an outperformance of you know we were just graphing oil. Um, since the pandemic against the producers and the underlying commodity has done so much better.
2: It's a great, great, great point. And I think the, the challenge is, particularly in the U.S., we had a lot of producers that were over levered and a whole bunch of them went out of business. And that clearly impacts the the indices that, that you know, uh, the broad baskets of, of those producers. There are some individual companies, you know, my favorite Diamondback Energy, I would say Fang. Has outperformed Fang, Facebook, uh, Amazon, Netflix, Google over the past year. Again, this year we think it'll outperform for a while. Uh, and then there's other companies like Oventive and uh, Marathon, Oxy, which have done really, really well, outperformed oil. But you're right, the basket has underperformed because there's just a lot of companies that, uh, and this is across all industries. You know, we we extended credit to not so credit worthy businesses. Uh, when I say we, I mean the economy. And some of those went uh, out of business, I guess, in in the, the lockdowns after the pandemic. And it's, it's really been tough. And I think that's one of the reasons oil prices surged so much, is so much supply came offline.
0: So, Mark, in the fixed income space, do you guys see opportunities there? Again, we have a, a Federal Reserve that has clearly signaled – uh, rising interest rates, and uh, if you look at the WIRP function on the Bloomberg Terminal, it could be as many as seven hikes in 2022. How do you think about that as it relates to fixed income opportunities?
2: Yeah, I, I'm going to take the under. In fact, I'm going to take the way under on that. Okay. Uh, I don't think they'll be anywhere close to seven. I don't even think they'll be you know, three or four. Uh, I think they, they probably will try to hike here in March. Uh, I think they'll probably wimp out and not do 50 basis points. Um, you know, the challenge is they've been behind the curve since 2013. Uh, for 100 and something years, the average short-term rate roughly equaled nominal GDP growth. And, you know, that hasn't been true for eight years. And I think they, they should get back to a normal functioning interest rate environment because uh, that's what capitalism is predicated on, that you, know, you can put your capital at work and get, and get paid for it. Uh, Think about being in Europe or or Japan. You have to pay banks to keep your money. At least here, you get 0.5%. That's why we actually came up with this thing, CSH, a new ETF that takes advantage of of SPAC arbitrage to give people something, you know, we think low single digits on their their savings. Uh, Because we think traditional bonds, high yield bonds, aren't very high, taking credit risk, you're taking duration risk both of which look kind of dicey in this market. So having uh, at least something on your, your savings, we think, makes a lot of sense.
0: All right, Mark, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate checking in uh, with you, Mark uh, uh He is with CEO, CIO, and founder of Morgan Creek Capital Management based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is actually a very very beautiful community there, despite the uh, University of North
1: Carolina being and housed there. And UNC is such a great school. It is a great school. And they have such a great basketball history. Yeah, just not
0: quite as great as their friends down Route 15501 at the Duke University. But, uh, yeah, we all respect the UNC Chapel Hill. They are good, good hoops, and we love playing against them.
1: We have our ETFs. She wants to talk ETFs.
3: I'm dying to talk ETFs. I
1: was going to say there. Maestro? Maestro?
3: Is that Maestra, maybe? that sounds right. Czar is taken. There's already an ETF Czar here.
1: ETF Zarina <laughs> in the house right now. Um, and we were talking about an ETF uh, fund earlier. Weren't we um, ESH? Weren't we talking about ESH earlier which is um no.
3: No. no <laughs> I think those are the S&P 500 futures.
1: No, it was um, it was some ETF fund that somehow dealt with SPACs in a way to, uh, Oh, that's leverage
0: on leverage there. Yeah. Well, Katie, what do you you got for
3: us? Let's go ETFs. We can talk about SPAC ETFs. We can talk about fixed income ETFs because it doesn't sound exciting, but there have been uh, a ton of really interesting launches uh, when it comes to fixed income ETFs this week. I mean, just today you had State Street and Blackstone launch an ETF that will be half high yield, half CLOs, and they're trying to uh, really appeal to the retail crowd there, which caught my eye. Mm -hmm. You also have a bunch of BlackRock, BlackRock alumni debuting uh, seven junk bond ETFs just today. And then earlier this week, you also had uh, a CDS ETF debut. So it's been a really fascinating week for uh, just bond ETFs in general.
1: Speaking of leverage on leverage. Yeah. Yeah. Who buys ETFs these days?
0: Is it retail? Is it institutional? Is it hedge funds? Who's buying these things?
3: It's a really interesting mix of both. I mean, institutional and professional traders love ETFs because the liquidity there is so much greater than you would get in buying any sort of individual bond. So they use them often as liquidity sleeves, but you also have a very- Liquidity uh, sleeve. Liquidity sleeve, I like yeah. that. <laughs> I do too. Uh, I try to put that in stories whenever I can. <laughs> but I mean, they do appeal to retail because some of the products or some of the asset classes you can get exposure to through an ETF, I mean, If you're a retail trader, you're never going to be buying, you know, Russian debt. You're never going to be buying oil futures. Those types of asset classes that you really can't get exposure to but now you can through an ETF. You can buy it on any sort of brokerage platform. So well, if Tony th-
0: from UBS ever calls me and pitches an ETF to me. That might be the end of our 25 year <laughs> oh, relationship.
3: No. Are you not an ETF? I fan? don't know. I, uh,
0: yeah, I, I guess I can. I mean, the, the, the low fees, mm-hmm. um, I guess they're targeted, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It just feels a little fatty. I'd love
3: to explore H- C-S-H. C-S-H. I found. Mark the- Yusko, right? Yes, yes. exactly. Okay. Exactly.
1: So we were talking with Mark Yusko. About, and by the way, you know how I found that? I couldn't remember what I had typed in, and I just typed in H-I-S-T-GO, and it shows you the history of all the commands that you've typed in on the Bloomberg. So you can scroll back. That is a very cool in itself. That is a good, another function.
3: You know, I was reading about this fund and I was so mad that I didn't write about it because it's really interesting basically that um, it feels like he's pitching this ETF as you can use it almost as a money market fund. Like just store your cash here. You're probably going to get a few basis points above treasuries. Not very uh, exciting, but, you know, it should work.
0: All right. So the new issue market for ETFs. Where are we, kind of, over the last 12 months? Is it? accelerating? Have we kind of peaked?
3: Where where are we going there? It's on fire. On fire. En fuego, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. No, you saw a record number of ETFs launched last year, which is interesting to me because they've all been mostly active and thematic. But if you look at where the money is going, it's all to pretty vanilla funds. It's all S&P 500 index tracking funds. So you are seeing this huge surge in issuance. But I mean, those new funds are attracting very little of the actual money that's flowing into the ETF market, which is largely just dominated by Vanguard and BlackRock.
1: Um and Vanguard has been the boss of ETFs mm-hmm. really since their inception, right? They own they own this market.
3: They well, okay, this is the storyline that you have to watch very closely. Black or Vanguard's share of the ETF market has grown every single year for 20 years straight. BlackRock is still your incumbent. I think they control about 34 percent of all us etf assets vanguards at 29 percent. so that flippening it's gonna happen one day maybe it's not this year but
1: i also just think because of you know the uh, the legend of jack bogle mm. and to me etfs fit so well with that yep. Yep. uh passive investing legend but of course they probably have active investing etfs there as well
3: they do, and Vanguard will be quick to tell you that they do have active ETFs. But if you look at their 82 product, and they just have 82 products, which is also mind-blowing, uh, it's mostly passive. That's where all the money is.
0: NI space ETF gets all the Bloomberg News written stuff on uh, ETFs. NI
1: ETF, or ETF Go is a great ETF uh, Go, and BI
0: B-I-E-T-F-S to get the research there.
1: All right, let's talk
0: uh, global oil. Brent crude, $92, 90 cents. We were on a, I guess we still are on a $100 watch. I'm hearing some $100 numbers coming out of Wall Street. But when we want to talk oil or commodities, pork bellies, crypto, we go to Mike McGlone. He's from Bloomberg Intelligence Commodities uh, Analyst there. Uh, Mike, you're in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. He's here, folks. Usually he's down in Miami Beach kicking back uh, at the pool with a cocktail with an umbrella in it. But he is here in New York working t- this week.
4: Mike, what do you make of crude oil here? Are we going to see that one hundred dollar handle? I think it's part of the process that it did in 2008. Elevator, es- escalator up, elevator down. So right now we're in that upstage. Today's not so great, but it's factoring a pretty significant arm conflict between, you know, with, in, in Europe with a large exporter of crude oil and a large exporter of grains. To me, that's otherwise. Once we get through this period, it happens or not, crude oil is going back to 50. And that is or, or below, and well, in 2000 in 2008 it peaked at 145 and then dropped to 40 mm-hmm. um, the next year. And then what happened was it went, it went up to 100 for till 2011. And then the whole U.S. shale revolution happened, oil sands in Canada. That's happening again now. The difference is Matt loves is the EVs are really kicking in. That's hmm. it's, and our consumption in North America peaked in 2018, and so it's starting to head lower. So also the key thing is war okay war keeps it elevated in the shorter term but the big picture is higher prices bring up more supply and it's worse this time but, so here's but here, that that part i that part i don't we don't see happening yet right we don't
1: see the shale guys Rig counts pulling more oil out of the ground we don't see
4: texas pulling the trigger they, they just don't seem to be doing lagging. it yet why why lagging so yeah. w- what are we doing right now we're the reciprocal of negative negative prices 2020 we're going to do the exact opposite within the next year might be a few months high prices now Back to the more enduring trends. So let's give you this fact. Crude oil peaked at 145 in July, um, July 2008. If it were catch up to PPI, it'd be $200. Mm. So that's a bear market that's bouncing within a range. So yes, it's a lot of fear, but uh, this is just the facts of the market. If you can can create more of it, we use less of it. And I I came from a a Corn Belt background. 12% of our gasoline is from ethanol, which I know you love. I'm against (laughs) that. Well, I'm not against it if you don't
1: care about your motor you know <laughs> but it's not good i, w- I don't want to put that in my i will drive the extra mile to get pure gasoline really i don't want ethanol in do my gas do i get gas? ethanol in my gas yes gas? you do i don't care do i you don't
0: care i don't care no. no all right so all right so but supply and demand here opec has remained pretty disciplined Is that something you expect to continue? Well, does does
1: OPEC really have that much spare capacity? Well, one of the things we've been hearing from the guests we bring on is, okay, Saudi does and you can see it with OPEC Go. It's a really cool chart for spare capacity. Yeah. Um, But the, uh, the guests that we have on lately have been doubtful that other countries really have that much spare capacity. And actually, you don't see anything on OPEC Go besides Saudi Arabia and the UAE.
4: Don't underestimate how prices bring on supply in commodities. Good this point, is the lesson I learned point. when I used to have hair. It's just <laughs> so entertaining. This is Exactly. It's just so entertaining to hear because I remember how we were going to have peak oil 10 years ago. What really peaked? Consumption in North America. So that'll come. The discipline's impressive. Iran could come back. Look at Venezuela. They have as much oil as crude oil. At some point, that comes back, and, and higher prices bring that on. But I think what's happening now is more than macro. I think we're beginning part of the great reversion of this massive period of economic, fiscal, monetary stimulus and so if, if we don't have the war we face the fed if we do have the war we have other issues a potential recession but you know the unique thing that's really been happening lately is i was impressed with how bitcoin has been a leading indicator if you come in the morning like today bitcoin was heavy the stock market I've been falls watching that, yeah. yeah you see you watch the ticker and then you have those days when the stock market's down and bitcoin starts ticking up the stock market falls it's amazing how this crypto has become the leading you know leading indicator in markets but in the big picture i think that's what comes out ahead so i published a piece recently, as we know, lack of supply, decline in supply, increase in adoption, not not part of most, most portfolios of Bitcoin. And you look at crude oil, we're using less of a, You mentioned ethanol. I drive an electric, and I've had it for eight years now. It's great. Electric. I
3: Driving you electric know what, no, no. in Miami Beach? Or I'll, I drove I, it all the way. It's a I, Chevy
4: Volt. I laud, I laud you. Wait, a Chevy Volt or a Bolt? A Volt. So they don't make them anymore. But it's, it's a hybrid. Yeah. So basically, it's a Actually, hybrid. Actually, I love that car. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, I test drove them when they first came out. So my thing is, as I've been telling Paul and anyone who listen, I love the idea of electric cars. I love the acceleration of electric cars. I miss the vibrations and the sound of an internal combustion engine. Shifting gears. Uh, and uh, shifting gears, obviously, yeah, as stay. well. Yeah. I love... Um, a good hybrid. So I loved the Chevy Volt when that came out, and I don't know why they don't make it anymore. Uh, I love uh, the BMW now has um, an X5 that has an inline six, so a fantastic power plant. That's the power plant that made them famous, and a huge like 30-kilowatt battery. Well, so you can drive 20, 30 miles uh, without
4: a motor, but when you need it, You kick it on and it's refined and smooth. It's your enthusiasm to me that's profound, because that's where it's going. And it's happening more in the wealthier companies. But I heard last year in in China, 20% of new auto sales were EVs. Now, you mentioned hybrids. Mine mine gets 90 miles per per gallon. And my brother, who's a mechanic, says the cool thing about these is they, they, the engine doesn't work hard. They last forever because yep. use electric for stop and go and the engine only works for the long distances. So it works. Yep. It's a good system.
1: I wish they would make cars where you could easily swap out the batteries. Because my concern is I buy one now with a 30 kilowatt battery and then 10 years from now, there's a 500 kilowatt battery in the same size. There you go. <laughs> I'm <laughs> well, Mike McGlone. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. We appreciate it. We didn't get to talk pork bellies. We got tripped up by crypto. Frozen concentrated orange juice futures. We will do, we will do pork bellies next time. I guarantee it. This Federal Reserve is going to be looking clearly at some of the economic data coming up, and we want to check in with Michael McKee. covers all things economics for us here. Michael, as you think about this Federal Reserve, we're talking about hiking rates. WIRP is saying seven rate hikes this year. What do you think the Federal Reserve is really looking at in terms of data? Can I also say
1: the WORP function looks better than ever? Have you, I know we're on radio. You're looking but marvelous, guys. People yeah. can't see it, but it, it's so improved to yeah. uh, the old word function. So I yes. highly recommend people check it out. The thing that's interesting is that we consider one rate hike to be twenty five basis points. Is that always is that just the standard rate hike measurement?
5: Well, it became that under Alan Greenspan. The years before, they used to announce. Uh, what was going on, they would raise it by all kinds of numbers, 15 or 10 or 35, uh, whatever they thought was necessary, particularly in the Volcker years when they were doing uh, monetary aggregates as a guide. So they were trying to figure out how much money they'd be creating. But um, at this point, uh, the Fed is uh, looking at, to to answer your question, inflation and unemployment. Uh, Unemployment, they noted in the minutes yesterday, had Pretty much gotten to where they wanted it to be. It's inflation they're worried about, so uh, the Fed is at this point planning on moving in March. By the way, has employment
1: changed that much, or did they just start to get worried enough about inflation that they felt like it was? Well, I, mean, I feel did, like empo- employment, employment changed a
5: huge amount. I mean, it, it's it's already down basically to almost where it was uh, before the pandemic. Uh, We were at 3.5, 3.6, and now we're at 3. Well, we're at 4, but we were at 3.9 as more people come back. So they're pretty much at full employment. Uh, We're not going to get the same statistics that we got before the pandemic because people. Uh, have not come back into the labor force, so that the Great Resignation distorts, Yeah, well, we're all working, so I don't, <laughs> I don't see any of It's not that great in this, yeah. <laughs> in this room, uh, but but you're right, man. It's uh, 25 basis points become the standard, and now they don't even do it by basis points. They're doing it by uh, range of. Yeah, you know, twenty zero to ah, twenty five. Now yeah. and then it will be uh, twenty five to fifty. And what the market is doing, and I'm, this is your WIRP lesson, is looking at what the effective Fed funds rate is likely to be, which is right now around seven basis points. So if you look at the next move and you see that the implied rate is thirty two basis points, yep. then that's a twenty five basis point move. So uh, it's it's a little complicated, but once you get used to it, you, can, <laughs> you too can I speak like Ukrainian. It, but, you know, yes. in, in terms
1: of that. Measured um, policy uh, behavior and the transparency that the Fed wants to. I mean, are we going to stick with that throughout the Powell Fed? Will we ever get back to? Them saying, you know what, let's have an emergency meeting, and you know what, we'll raise by fifty basis points now or forty-five.
5: Well, they've had emergency meetings. They had an emergency meeting. In, oh, but they can only do March. an emergency meeting to cut, right? Because the market. Well, no, they could do an emergency meeting to, to raise if they felt it was necessary. It, it's it's hard to do because I'm doubtful. You, you're you <laughs> legally they can do it, but you're right. It's a it would be a shock to markets. Uh, and it was pretty obvious when we hit the pandemic and markets seized up and weren't working that they had to cut rates. So the the meeting, the emergency meeting they held, was not a bad thing. But Do you know who was saying
1: this yesterday? Actually, I was struggling to remember because I'm getting
5: old. Because you're getting old. <laughs> um, it
1: was Danielle DeMartino Booth. Yep. Um, and to be fair, her book was titled "Fed Up," so you can tell. <laughs> where she's coming from. But she was saying yesterday, you know, this isn't cool because the Fed is so careful when it comes to markets, right? They don't want to spook the markets, but they don't care about the common man paying $5 at the pump. Like, if they wanted to tackle inflation right well, now, she was, she was saying, and right. Paul made a, a great counter argument that it's really about the supply chain. If they wanted to fight inflation, they would just have an emergency meeting and raise 50 basis points now.
5: And maybe six, eight months from now, that would slow start to slow business activity policy working with a lag. So it's not really going to help. I mean, we were surprised by retail sales yesterday and how good they were. And we've been surprised by how strong uh, consumer credit has been. People want to spend money.
1: Well, retail sales disappointed the last two reports. Think about how bad it was in December. And that was Christmas.
5: But uh, that was because Omicron. October was better. <laughs> so I mean, we pulled it forward. Uh, that's you're just basically outlining, Matt, why it's so hard for anyone to do monetary policy these days, especially when you're working with a blunt instrument like one interest rate. Well, and
1: to Paul's point, if you're if if it's supply constraints that are causing inflation, you know, if if I'm paying so much more for my GMC Yukon. AT4 because they just can't make enough, it doesn't matter if the Fed
5: raises rates, does it? uh, The Fed's going to raise rates on March 16th. And on March 17th, we aren't going to suddenly have a big (laughs) supply of semiconductors that all of a sudden show up. So uh, the car problem is going to continue. That's the issue is we bought. I mean, we've had several separate issues that get rolled into one. The, The semiconductors issue was a result of a number of factory problems and then the uh, car issues uh, flowed from that. But then we have other supply chain issues where we ordered so many goods that they couldn't keep up with the shipping of them all. And that's slowly beginning to rationalize, but it, it, we're not there yet. Yeah, we just had the uh, Lee class go on from Bloomberg Intelligence. He
0: covers all the ocean shipping companies, the railroads, the trucking companies. He sees it all, and he says. He thinks this is going to stretch into next year. Uh, You know, he kind of thought it might be a mid-2022 event where we get some meaningful improvement in supply chain. But now he's pushing that out even further. So that kind of goes to the the rails? I have. Took a great Canadian Pacific investor trip through the Canadian Rockies. It was awesome. A three-day trip. A lot of
1: fun. You know how I bet's ridden the rails? What?
0: Greg Jarrett. Yeah, oh, I'm sure he has. You no, know, he's a hopped on, on. Yeah. as a hobo, you know, out in the west. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets right, Podcast. Mike, can so you can
1: subscribe out? and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at Matt Miller 1973,
0: and I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.